In ancient Greece, there lived a painter by the name of Apelles, who was known for his narrative realism. He also used a limited four-color palette to get the maximum effect out of his stories, avoiding strong colors that would compete for the attention. It is also said that Apelles painted in a very coarse, broad manner, and this has influenced painters throughout history. When he was asked why he was working so much with his paintings, he simply said, I paint for eternity. Sebastian Salvo, welcome to the cave of Apelles. Thank you. I see you as maybe the colleague whom I admire the most. When I th think about what you do, your motifs, the way you paint, you have a complete totality of an understanding of proportions, of painterliness, of value, color, composition, facial expression, psychological, uh, the psychological expression of the figures. And I guess that <clears throat> as being a Chilean makes you a traitor of your culture and a man conducting cultural appropriation. How do you defend yourself? I do not defend myself. <laughs> I, I could say that I recognize myself as a traitor in a way. Um, because I have embraced things that are not uh, bounded to the place where I was born into. So I don't identify myself or uh, what I do or what I want to paint. Uh, under a social or a political or a geographical uh, boundaries, anyway. So, um, yes, I'm a traitor because I have taken uh, shamelessly the, <laughs> the... So you're a cultural thief? Oh yeah, I'm a thief, yeah. absolutely. Uh -huh. uh, I take everything that I consider the best and try to put that in every painting that I do. Mm. So if I'm on that uh, search and that, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm trying to search that, I cannot uh, bound myself into the limits of what is uh, expected as a Chilean painter that mm -hmm. should depict his own culture, social or political environment. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm a traitor and <laughs> I will not defend myself. But... <clears throat> uh, the way you're painting this tradition mm -hmm. is typically seen as a more or less a European phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So how did you get to the point where you are, you are at now as a painter? Well, the things that I saw in my grandfa grandfather's house, these uh, paintings that were also these reproductions of uh, paintings from Leonardo and other classical painters. Mm. But uh, I also, when I was very young, I remember that I went to uh, an exhibition on a very, or in a museum in Chile. Uh, there was an, uh, this exhibition of uh, little sculptures and ceramics about the Incas. Okay. So uh, when I went there, uh, you could, I could see that there was, uh, I saw that there was all these typical ceramics, uh, typical representation of, uh, 
American indigenous cultures, little ceramics and tools that they used to work with uh, to make uh, to work and um, to make these uh, ceramics. And but I remember that in uh, a little corner of that exhibition, uh, I found these three heads, little heads of a very well uh, depicted human face. Okay, so this was made by the Incas, but it didn't fit with the, this typical way they, the, um, uh, this indigenous culture is presented so to it, the world. It wasn't this blocky, no. square... No, 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 at all. It was very well done in a way that the proportions and the expression of those little faces were very well rendered. Yeah. So that was something that kept my attention with some friends that uh, when we were little there at that uh, trip to this museum. Uh, so that was a shock because then after that I, I haven't been able to see those face, those little heads mm -hmm. again in any book or uh, even in the museum. I can't, uh, I haven't seen them again. So yeah. that is when something uh, you realize after a while that something is wrong here because uh, I start thinking that there's something that really wants to show the world how an indigenous culture used to make things yeah. that they are totally opposite or very different from what has been done in Europe. Mm. this European tradition. <clears throat> so that uh, was the thing that I remember of those three heads, that they came back again after a while when I, uh, I saw that, that there are also other, other cultures where you can find this um, tendency or yeah, a tendency into some periods of time where people try to approach to a more natural representation of the human face mm. or the human body. It's not just a symbolic form or a, mm. of the God. No, it's <clears throat> a human face there or a human body. So you can find also those kind of things in Egyptian um, paintings, in these paintings that they used to make and the mortuary paintings. So where mm. you can find these uh, faces that they look uh, a very well portrayed. Mm. Mm. So uh, in a way, I felt I am a traitor, but then I remember those faces and I feel like I'm, I'm a traitor to what is considered to be a Latin American mm -hmm. or a Chilean painter. Mm -hmm. But if you go a little bit further, you will realize that there has been attempts before to make that human face back again, even in the indige indigenous cultures in Latin America. Mm -hmm. So then is when you say, okay, I'm a traitor to my own time, but I'm not mm. a traitor when it comes to universal uh, representation of the human face and the human body. Mm -hmm. So that is what I am attached to. And right. Yeah. So this whole experience uh, made you 
<coughs> shall we say, <coughs> not loyal to political prejudices and cultural prejudices that you're supposed to live up to. Yeah. Yeah. Because those kind of uh, political and social pressures of how yeah. you must present yourself to the world as an artist. Yeah. Uh, for me, if, I, if they have been just obstacles in order to get closer to what I think is the best. Yeah. Uh, this the human face that yeah. is not attached to an exact time or period or a political. Because that that has struck me also. Um, you have the Ifi culture of Nigeria. What this is uh, mm. 13th, 14th century or, yeah. or so around there with these heads that are just amazing. I saw one mm. of them in, in, uh, in, in Minneapolis. Um, and of course you have things from Japan of the 8th century or China in the 11th century or 12, uh, 12th century or so. Uh, and Egyptian things that, that, like you mentioned, and even Assyrian uh, things that I, I, I've seen that. And I think a lot of this has to do with that you accept unconsciously or, or because you don't studied enough, yeah. uh, prejudices about what cultures should be. Yeah. So the Assyrian culture, I was like, okay, well, that's stiff. And then I see these heads and it, they are just amazing. Yeah, and you can yeah. see that, yeah. Yeah, but so, so it seems like if you should just think, you know, as a Chilean, that is, uh, this should really be a long trip for you. I mean, you shouldn't be sitting here. No. <laughs> I should be there taking care of my responsibilities as a Chilean artist. Yeah. Yeah. So what other steps, I mean, what was your education, Can, what, other experiences that, that, that have influenced you? Oh, well, I had a very, a very uh, good teacher, uh, painting teacher, when I was uh, eight in the school. And she showed me uh, which were the models to follow in order to paint good. Properly, I don't know if that's a, that's yeah, a word, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and her examples were image of Saint Sebastian, a classical. I don't remember which one of exact painter was, yeah. but also Leonardo and other uh, classical painters. Yeah, and I had uh, I learned from her uh, for uh, a year maybe, and. Going to the museum, she was showing me all these classical paintings, and I was so uh, seduced in a way by those kind of paintings. Mm. Uh, but then, after a while, uh, in the school, they changed the teacher, so they came they came out uh, with another teacher. Yeah. That she was more uh, kids. You should. Uh, openly uh, experiment and have a nice time with uh, colors and whatever. So mm. then it's when I didn't, I didn't keep on painting mm. because uh, then it was over. There was no more this uh, models to follow. Nothing uh, to strive for? No, exactly. So because then we, at that time, we had these uh, competi competitions <laughs> painting at the school, so there was a prize yeah. for the for the children or yeah. the students that made the best drawing or painting at the school. Yeah, and that yeah. was quite good because I was uh, winning every every prize. But then suddenly they changed the way they were uh, teaching uh, mm. painting and art, and then. 
they begin uh, they start with this just play and just mm. ha have a nice time and play with mm. the colors mm. and then it came the competition mm. and i made uh, a copy i tried to make a copy of a classical painting i don't remember which one mm. uh, and there was another boy that got the first prize it was just some hands with just full of colors on the paper yeah. and i was very angry mm. like why this did this boy uh, win the first prize be, uh, because my my painting was better yeah <laughs> but then the teacher came and she said hey everyone should have the opportunity to have a first prize so <laughs> you have uh, win uh, you have won so many prizes so go I, there and I thought that was specific to the Norwegian social democratic ed educational system. No, oh, no, no, no. It has been also there. You're in... supposed to be Latin and full of fire and uh, no. energy and so. No, no, maybe it was like that until I was eight years old. Maybe <laughs> they changed. Then they changed the whole thing. And uh, yeah, so um, yeah, well, that was uh, sort of my education when I was young, and yeah. then everything changed so I had to uh, lock up myself in my room just drawing the things that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So it you is... got a double education? Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of a, this is what was going to happen. Yeah. So if you follow this, yeah. you will not get the price. Right. So you have to lock yourself up mm. and you do your nice drawings. Yeah. This is the moment for other children to have the opportunity yeah. to become someone. Well, you know, this is what you do in music. You introduce a theme yeah. a little bit and then it comes back and you recognize it. Mm -hmm. you see? Mm -hmm. So it's <clears throat> you got to you got to know the theme here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So but later, I mean, uh, when you were seriously thinking about becoming a painter mm. uh, more late teens or so I would presume. Yeah. What did you do then? What school or what? Well, uh, I thought about uh, going into uh, study filmmaking, but uh, uh, I just uh, choose the art uh, school mm. Mm -hmm. um, because it was so I had already certain skills into drawing, so was the more natural thing to do. Mm. Mm. So then I went into the university to learn how to paint. Mm. But then I went into the university and there was no painting there. Yeah. So it was more, again, this experiment. Find your own language. Uh, through these experiments you will find originality, your own style, uh, and these kind of things that you know mm. what happened out there. Mm. And then uh, we had a painting class, painting classes in the university, but it was just a few hours uh, in the week, during the week. Mm. And I remember that uh, after a year trying to get something out from that, it was very, uh, it was very hard to keep on going with painting because you had to do all these things according to what was going on today, mm. modern installation and other things so to keep on uh, an habit on painting it was going 
more and more difficult because even the painters there and the university they were just going into this modernism with everything should be just colors there and abstract so i didn't find any alternative to follow a more classical way of uh, mm. painting or drawing so in one class of painting and that was the peak uh, for me on mm. that uh, and that uh, university, an art school. We were uh, in a painting class, so there was this model. She was nude there, and we should make uh, an oil painting of her while she was modeling there. Mm. So the teacher, he came and he was, okay, the, he, there are the materials, you should paint her. Mm. How do I do this? That was my first question. No, you just, you just, experiment, play a little bit and see what it comes out. But I didn't know how, not even how to blend the colors. So uh, it was quite scary. Yeah. So, but then I had to start because everyone was just... You hadn't painted before? Uh, not uh, in, with oil painting. Right. It was almost just after a year yeah. you, you start painting with oil. Yeah. And then he asked us to just start painting this, uh, making a portrait of this nude study. I didn't know how to do it. Uh, I just put too much oil, turpentine, and everything was just dripping down the canvas. So I was like, this is not working. There must something to, to uh, yeah, something to make this properly. Mm. And I keep on asking to the, to the teacher, and he was like, yeah, don't ask more, mm. just do it. Mm. Okay. So then I, there was a, 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 um, a book of uh, Velázquez there. And I took that out and there was this Venus. Yeah. Okay. So then I realized, and it was a very, quite, a very good book because you could see very well the details of the painting. So then I could see that there was more painting, more thick painting on the light and more transparent layer on the shadows. Right. So it was like, okay, so I, sh I have to put less uh, oil, uh, m less amount of painting on the shadows and more on the lights. Okay. So then I start mixing, making a mix between what I was looking at, yeah. the model, and then based also on the Venus of Velázquez. Yeah. So then everything went much better. So then I, I realized that I was improving. So I'm, got, I'm getting somewhere with this. But mm. then the teacher came into the uh, classroom. He approached to me very angry. He closed the, the book and he told me a real artist never copies. So that was the end for mm. me at that university. And then I realized that that was not the correct place where I should keep on doing this, trying to uh, learn how to paint. So then I quit. You quit? Yeah, yeah I quit. And after a while, uh, I found that there was a school in Santiago, the only school where you can get a more closer uh, environment to what is a more, what was a more um, classical way of learning. Mm. That was like the studio of uh, of a painter, of mm. a Spanish painter. Mm. And he was, 
she was very fan of uh, some classical painters, but also a very f fan of, uh, from Soroye. Right. Yeah. So he was very into this that you should paint mm. a human body, mm. expression of a face, uh, but don't use black. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first shocking thing because how he, he, he told me. Yeah. Yeah, because I was I was using black to try to make a copy out from a Goya, I think, or it was uh, a Velasquez, I don't remember very well. Yeah. Um, and he said, no, don't use black, just use other colors, because black is not a color. So then it was, how can I do this? How can I get closer to Velasquez, uh, Goya or Rembrandt, without black? And that was the first break, but it was the the best place to be there because yeah. there was no other alternative. Right. Um, so uh, then I then it when when the, I had the opportunity to get that book of uh, Ot Nerdum, and then you could find a lot of black there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm talking that he was the connection, the bridge for me. Yeah. to get closer to all the old painters, all the great masters. Really? Because yeah. I, then I realized that you, you have to, <laughs> you have to use black in order to make a good painting. Yeah. If you don't use it, yeah. it's not going to, to, to be uh, good enough, I think. Yeah, yeah I think this, um, this is a modernist uh, cliche that, as far as I know, <clears throat> directly comes from Cezanne. Mm -hmm. Um, where you should not use black. Mm. But uh, I think the reason for it is, consciously or not, they understand that black is the most efficient way of creating drama because you get contrast, you get volume, yeah. and so you get intensity and things are going on in the painting. Yeah, yeah because it, it seems to me that, that a lot of these things are... Um, turn into a moral problem. Mm. You go into an ex education to be a painter. Yeah. And then it becomes a moral problem that you want to be as good as you can in your uh, metier, your, your, your discipline. Yeah. Because you should, uh, you should um, instead you should be trying to save the world mm -hmm. or something like that. So you should feel, uh, you should have bad conscience if you're trying to t tell a story or something like that and just enjoying that yeah exactly and then i i was asking all the time why we cannot uh use black and this man was all the time like that was uh, uh from the past yeah it's something that they they used to do now yeah. we have more colors they didn't yeah. have these big palettes and this uh, variety of uh, colors that we have today right so that was another again an invitation to be part of what these modern times bring you, yeah. uh, what they, they show you, this big amount of uh, But this is, this is fairly ironic too then. So you're in a, in a sort of a double cultural, uh, you know, it's like that scene from, <clears throat> sorry, yeah. 
from Star Wars when they're in the garbage uh, thing there and the two walls are coming yeah. to crush them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so you have Chilean culture and then you have modernist uh, oh. dogmas sort of <laughs> that was a very scary in, situation in because then you yeah, where where should I escape from? yeah because if you should, on one hand should be somehow Chilean and on the other hand you're asked not to use black because that you don't do that anymore then you are suddenly told to be contemporary to be modern to be European because this comes from Europe right yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> so how do you escape from that yeah. how do you do you dare or do you do mm. you uh, you are able to escape from that pressure did you at that time uh, how old are we talking about now 19 yeah. 18 19 years old did you at that time make any kind of uh, thoughts did you, uh, did you uh, investigate into this somehow theoretically or think about it more consciously or were you more concerned with just trying to learn painting because that that's quite a job in itself yeah it's quite a job in itself and it takes a lot of time and yeah, yeah so mm, no i think that in this in my case it, it was sort of a sort of a intuition i was quite blind and i was just right. this doesn't sound correct or mm. maybe it sounds okay but if i look the painting from rembrandt it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I had to keep very, um, very to hold my to hold to my own belief in yeah. order to not to follow yeah. that pressure, that social pressure, or the pressure of the teacher, yeah. of the even the pressure of your family, because yeah. then you start making all these uh, dramatic paintings full of black, and then comes your mother, your grandmother, <laughs> and it's just. You should use more colors. <laughs> so then you, you feel the pressure everywhere. Yeah. When I quit the, the art school, the art, this studio, painting studio, yeah. I just went uh, to a little room in my mother's house to paint. And I didn't know what to do because what's the next step? Yeah. There's no place for a, for a, man, uh, for a young painter that follows that kind of uh, painting yeah. out there. It was quite scary. So yeah. I just locked myself up in that room and tried to paint as a classical painter. So I remember that one, one day, uh, my grandfather, he, he asked me, now what's the next step? What are you going to do? He said yeah. to him, I don't really know. I don't really know because I, I'm not, mm, I don't know what to do. I'm just good at this, more or less good. And then he said, well, uh, I have thought about something. Um, maybe we should go to Europe on a trip uh, so we can see the masterpieces uh, there, directly where they are. So do you want to go with me to Europe and see all these paintings? Yeah. Of course, <laughs> I'm not going to wait. No, yeah, of course I won't. Yeah, so then, um, then we went on a trip through Europe and he said, uh, you're going to pick the place that we are going to visit, but there's just one condition. Every city and every place that we are going, there must be a good painting there 
a museum, a cathedral, where we can see a good sculpture, a good art architecture, or good painting. Yeah. So you have to pick places where we are going to find that kind of things. And then we went on trip through Europe, and then that was the first time I saw Goya, Caravaggio, Titian, oh Rembrandt, and we went to a four-month trip uh, by train wow. through Spain, France, Italy, well, Romania, Bulgaria, Germany, Denmark. So that, that was something that opened my eyes and that was, okay, this is what things are, these are the masterpieces, I see them, I know I can do this. I will not. I don't know how much time it will take for me to to be able to do this, mm. but I think I can. Mm. And then I saw that there was black all around. <laughs> so uh, that was that was a, a vindication. Oh yeah, yeah. And then uh, <laughs> then yeah, I saw a, a, a wonderful uh, exhibition of Caravaggio in Rome, and it was completely dark, <laughs> like. All the walls were like a dark gray. The lights were very uh, down, yeah. very warm light that went directly into the painting. Yeah. There was some music on the background. Yeah. And then everyone was like that, looking at the paintings like they were, uh, well, something from another world. And yeah. then that was something. This is how painting should be presented as a, yeah, it's a whole experience in a way. So we were with my grandfather there and he was, this is, this is how you should paint. Mm. Uh, remember this, mm. remember this, because this is the way. Mm. And he was totally fascinated by these uh, paintings and me too, they were, were going around this, it's wonderful. So that trip going around uh, Europe and seeing, discovering a lot of paintings in these uh, little museums, that, in little cities that you couldn't expect that you could find such a wonderful painting on a little town in Romania. Yeah. Suddenly you realize about that there's such a masterpiece there. So you can see that along all through Europe. Then you rem I remembered my, my youth, these little heads with the Incas. Then you realize that there was a time in Egypt when they used to do things like this. Mm -hmm. And then, well, you're just not any, any more attached to Chile or a well, time or a social thing. It's just... That's your culture then. Yeah. And that is where I, I, I am and, and that's where I feel at home. Mm. Mm. So that was, uh, yeah. And that happens. That's some story. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah. a wonderful grandfather. He was, he, yeah, he was uh, wonderful with me. Yeah. And uh, I can say that he was the first mentor. Yeah, I was thinking this about is, it. This is the way. Yeah. We went through a journey yeah. and then we went back to Chile. <laughs> now what you should do? Just paint. And then I went back to painting to train myself. And then after many years, I sent to Oth that ledger. Yeah to ask him is 
if I was uh, good enough to yeah. study with him. Yeah. And then he said yes. And then you have another journey. So that was uh, yeah, the time what happened before I, I, I went to study with Odd. Yeah. And so you come to, um, to uh, his farm. Mm. And what did that do to you? Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, the whole trip was uh, quite, um, quite uh, not shocking, but uh, yeah, to, to, to travel alone. I was not with my grandfather anymore. Mm. I was traveling alone to, mm. uh, to study with Odd. Well, when I, get, when I got to the farm, mm, the first thing, I don't remember, yeah, the first thing was uh, Odd is upstairs in his studio. Mm. We should go up and meet him or mm. see his paintings. Yeah. Like, oh, of course, yes. So then while I was uh, going up the stairs, First thing, I the smell, turpentine and oil, <laughs> and that was a very strange thing uh, because I went directly into my childhood when I was uh, with this women woman that teach me how to paint uh, this Saint Sebastian and Leonardo. Yeah. She used to use all these materials, turpentine and linseal. So the, it was I was. Back into my childhood, then back onto the farm immediately. And I got there at the studio and I saw these big paintings uh, that Otto was wor working on. Mm. Mm. And that was, uh, uh, again, a shock because it was very similar. And I think much more shocking than many of the paintings that I saw in the museums on the trip that I made with my grandfather in 2010. Yeah. Then I could see these paintings, also some of them in, in pro progress. Right. And yeah. what, what shocked you more about oh, uh, this well, work? The size, the expression, the image, and, uh, well, and yeah, the, the, how they were painted there. Mm -hmm. mm. So it was a lot of information. So I could, I saw that image and was the expression of the faces, the body, the landscape, the light. Mm. It was all that information just into your face. <laughs> After going through a trip uh, from Chile, I don't know, it's like an 18 hours or something. Yeah. yeah. And then you get this. Yeah. So that uh, all that information came uh, in front of me, and yeah, and that was well, that was the first day. Yeah. And the second day, uh, there was this painting uh, at the farm, on the studio. The cannibals. And and I I, I remember that the, I was quite shocked about this uh, wheelchair. <laughs> on the left bottom side of the painting. It's very heavy. Yeah. I, I didn't see uh, any of this sort of a modern, more uh, contemporary element mm. in the painting of Odd before. Mm. 
maybe I didn't put too much attention, but mm. there was this wheelchair. Mm. Mm. And I thought this, uh, this, this is something I don't like. Well, but... You reacted to that negatively. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but there's also something that I, I, I felt that that was uh, uncom- not good on the composition. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because you had these two other characters and then this big mass, this character over a wheelchair, like that. If I felt like the, the, the composition was falling into sinking mm-hmm. to the left. Well, I was there and at that night there was a, a dinner at the house. There was a lot of wine. And then I, I came back to the studio at midnight, I think, with, there were some other students there. And I was there just uh, with a cup of wine uh, talking about the composition. I don't... You see, I don't, I don't, uh, I think the composition is not very well done. Mm. Uh, it's sinking into the left. <clears throat> this wheelchair should not be here. And if the wheelchair is there, you should put something on the sky to compensate the weight mm. of, the, mm. of the composition. This is the second day. Mm. Talking like that on, <laughs> on Odd Studio about one of his paintings. So then I was talking in front of the, of the other students with all this proud attitude. Well, that came out, uh, came out uh, from the, um, um, the wine and <laughs> the excitement uh, to be there. And suddenly I heard this voice that says, what are you talking about my painting? Something like that. And then it was, oh, <laughs> now I'm in trouble. <laughs> And then he was there, odd. What you were talking about, my painting? It was, yes. <laughs> what would you were talking about? And then it was, this is not a moment where I can step back. You suddenly got sober? <laughs> not sober, but a shock and suddenly I became very awake. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So almost sober, almost. So then I had to repeat what I was talking about. And after I repeat the same thing about the composition, all he was, uh, okay, okay. Then he went out from the studio and I felt, oh, this is the end. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm going to be kicked out tomorrow from here. And that was uh, very scary (laughs) because I I really felt that I, I shouldn't do that. But that was something I was, thinking about yeah and well after a while uh, while he was painting that uh, composition one day he I was sitting there on the studio and uh, he asked me well what should I do to on the sky and oh that's a difficult question maybe a ray of light coming down to the face that is there on the mm. bottom. Mm. He said, but that's too cliche. And he said, but, but yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> he was like that. And then you see, I saw the, 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 this ray of light coming down from the, from the sky. And right. well, then I, I, I saw the whole process <clears throat> of this painting. Uh, well, but that was one of the stories 
after while I was studying with Ott in mm. the in his studio. Mm. I remember. I think the first time I was in, uh, at his studio. Yeah. He was working on the, uh, on the um, uh, male stripper. Uh huh. The old man naked. Yeah. Then he has. Yeah. Two, and there are were two men on each side. Yeah. And then the next time I visited the two closest to the old man, he had sanded it completely down. These were finished figures, mm. full scale figures, and he was painting sky and, and uh, ground over them because it created a tension, a, a space of tension, so that the two on the, uh, the two left yeah. were more threatening. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, to do So that. you experienced that. Oh, yeah. And uh, but but that uh, that also is um, uh, an important point uh, because I always like to ask uh, people because of course I, I've met quite a few uh, who have studied with Odd uh, Nordrum uh, after I did. Mm -hmm. um, what was the most important thing that you learned from him? And it seems like you well you al already said <laughs> said it. <laughs> you do what is necessary to underline. <clears throat> That's the narrative. Yeah, that's a very yeah. that's a very important thing. Yeah, and it's it's to dare to paint like a great master. Yeah. So everything it's at the service of that. At to the service of, the, of, of that. making yeah. a masterpiece. So to dare to dare to make a masterpiece. Yeah. Take that in your own hands. That's your responsibility. Mm. So when you dare to take that responsibility, mm. then is when you, if something doesn't work on the composition, mm. you dare to take it out. Yeah. And you dare to change everything it's needed in order to improve mm. the painting and to get a better understanding of the story that you're trying to do. So you just, yeah, that's the thing, to dare to, to paint like a great, master but it's interesting mm. that you use the word dare yeah because people are consciously or unconsciously taught or pressured into quite a specific um, ideology mm. uh, which brings you to a point where if you want to do something else if you want to cre create a story you have to be have some sort of cor courage yeah to do so or even better i think uh, nerdmas talked about this himself <coughs> that is it's not courage, it's desire mm. <laughs> to, to, to <laughs> yeah, do yeah. this because you have these images in your head, right? Yeah. 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 But often uh, figurative painters are perhaps not conscious enough about what they are actually doing, mm. why they are doing it, what the, what the purpose of it, what the goal is. Yeah. And I think if you are not conscious about that, then you can easily be led astray or or, or fail to fo to follow that goal. Yeah. And uh, what I have experienced and what I've heard from other painters too who have engaged the, uh, with with uh, this new understanding of of the, of the kitsch term in a, in a positive way um, is that it becomes sort of a key yeah. to unlock sort of this all this art neurosis. That you have, yeah. Like, like uh, I had the experience uh, about that uh, with that myself. 
being inspired by a Leonardo painting to do make a hand movement like this in a self-portrait. Yeah. And immediately this, you know, like, like I was, uh, like um, uh, I, I have this term for what happens then. Hmm. It is the spine reaction. You know, that's, that's the art neurosis. You feel, oh, this is wrong. I have to, you know, I have to be original. And <laughs> I was thinking about that and I, I mentioned it to, to Nudrum and he just looked at me in a very puzzled way. He's like, is this a problem? And, yeah. he, and I said, well, you just have to make it better than Leonardo. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that for me also was, was just a, a, a turning point, just saying that. Mm. Because then suddenly you get full focus on your actual work. Yeah. But I think there are a lot of painters who, <clears throat> who, um, who appeal to or try to satisfy the ideas, the, the prevalent ideas of, of uh, you know, contemporary art. Yeah. And that they, for example, mm -hmm. uh, they try to, to um, artify their work. You have the landscape and they make a black circle uh, over it. So it will be an object on a wall and not a three-dimensional landscape you can walk into. A portrait, they will make, suddenly make uh, white stripes over it or something like that to reduce the sentimentality mm. of it. Mm. So uh, what I've seen is that, that engaging in the, in, in the concept of kitsch clarifies these things and relieves you of this anxiety, relieves you of this fear of being sentimental, of telling stories, of using black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I go to, to see a movie, for example, or uh, to the cinema, or, uh, the, or t take a book, mm. it's the tragedy, it's the, 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 the image of the hero also, mm. um, which I like the most, mm. uh, or the outcasts, or whatever. So uh, when it comes to those kind of stories, I like to hear stories that I that I uh, become emotional or uh, that makes me want to cry or to just <laughs> to yeah or to feel angry about but really angry or really mm. sad mm. and to affect to affect the the, the viewer. Uh, so he can start feeling something. It's not uh, to feel uh, not indifference, but interested in the subject that I'm trying to represent. Mm. So it, it's like going to a theater. You need a strong expression in your face, in the body. Mm. You need to exaggerate certain kind of things to shock the viewer. So that is the, the, the stories that I like the most. The ones you... Uh, that shock you mm -hmm. uh, and that makes you a strong impression of that. So I think those stories are the ones who represent this eternal human drama. Uh, love, death and... Uh, archetypical images. Absolutely archetypical. And yeah. that is when you have to get rid of, in a way, originality and embrace those archetypes in order to so the viewer can could identify himself with what you are you doing yeah so you need those kind of figures to make the story work right. it doesn't, doesn't uh, if you just go around with very personal things 
it doesn't work. It, maybe it works for you, but I, I will not have any clue about what the painting is about. Oh. So that's the, the thing. Uh, this kind of stories and yeah, this kind of subjects is what, uh, what I, I like to, to paint. Yeah, but mm. what you're talking about is, I think, quite fundamental. Because there's, there are quite a few things we could talk about uh, in connection with that. But I think one of the first things that, that, that comes to mind is uh, one specific thing that Aristotle talks about in the, in the Poetics. Mm -hmm. He suggests certain speci you know, specific stories, mm -hmm. certain specific tragedies, because they the audience already knows them. Yeah. Basically the same thing that you're saying there. Mm -hmm. Because the goal is to grip the viewer. Yeah. So I, is it perhaps so that we, the, the modern uh, way of thinking is so far away from that, that you, uh, for many painters, you, you feel that, like you're not allowed to think like that, that it's immoral because you're not trying to change the world or something? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think there's also obviously a reason why a painter should not get too much in contact with these uh, subjects. But then, what is that? It's to be uh, totally uh, faithful with your time and the values that we have today as the modern society. Yeah, mm. that's, a, that's a barrier that doesn't mm. allow a painter to go or to a poet or someone who wants to uh, get into this way of telling stories to mm. uh, affect really the the viewer mm. so yeah and today to affect someone is 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 almost not allowed is but if you go to 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 the cinema and you want to see mm. a movie that's the rule yeah, yeah. <laughs> the movie ha must affect you you, yeah. know, you want to go to the cinema to be excited and to yeah. be involved in the story and to come out from the movie affected by it. So you can ask the question from a different perspective. Mm. Why do you not paint everyday scenes in the, in the, in the you know, sort of style of the 1880s, 90s uh, French uh, naturalistic painting? Uh, because uh, th that kind of life, uh, daily life is already there. It's already every day I go out to the street, I see that. Why I should want to go to a, a, mm. a museum and see the same thing? Uh, and th those kind of stories that they... It's, a, it's a, a mix between something that you... You recognize as something familiar, mm. but it also drags you in a, in a different kind of world, I could say. Mm. The, mm. This way of telling stories, these tragedies. Yeah. What you can see in the 16th chapel, yeah. where you what you can see in uh, some paintings of Titian. This, this um, another world, if you want to call it the, the world of the dreams, not surrealism, but no. uh, bodies and figures and faces, humans, yeah. going into this uh, another world. It's, it's difficult to Something explain. fundamental. I, mean, the, the, I think this. I think you can use the, the term uh, yet another term from Aristotle, the idea of catharsis. Mm. Right, that, that these images are so basic 
that they grip your emotions yeah. and then somehow you know, basically educates you mm. without telling you exactly what you shall feel or think about this specific yeah. thing. Right. Um, oh, yeah, those are the stories that happen all the time and they will happen again and again. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you recreate, if you make a painting where someone is going to be murdered in the middle mm. of the night, mm. He is on bed and he's going to he sees someone approaching with a knife and he's going just he's going to be killed in that moment yeah i think that that, that is something that many people has felt like going to sleep in the middle of the night when you're um, uh, very vulnerable mm. and that thread that come that could comes out from the darkness and mm. so those images i think you can uh, bring them again and again, and they will be uh, familiar to every human being in a way. Mm. Uh, so they 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 could have been recognizable from someone from the Italian Renaissance, and it's going to be also a painting or an image that is going to be familiar to someone maybe in two hundred more years after this conversation. Yeah. So. Those kind of subjects are the ones who, who yeah. Yeah. And I think if, uh, so the problem then with an everyday scene mm. would perhaps be that it, it might be too confined to its time. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, that's why they don't endure too much in the viewer's eye or yeah. in his heart, if yeah. you want to put it that way. Yeah. Uh, because they die very fast as everything changes today very fast. Every image that is too attached to its own time, it dies with its own time. Right. And it is going to die faster every time because <laughs> this thing is changing too fast. So you have to renew yourself, you have to become original all the time. And that's yeah. something that requires so much energy so that you don't have enough time to make a good painting. So, yeah, mm. and you can even, and I think this is quite, um, what's the phrase, it's um, this principle here, shows no mercy. You know, oh, I remember funny. being in, in this principle that yeah. you're talking about mm. here now. I was in London once and I had this amazing epiphany with uh, John Constable. Mm. And after that, going, watching, you know, Renaissance paintings uh, of different sorts, you know, well made. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of just annoying mm -hmm. because I was more thinking about, okay, who commissioned this painting? How long did it take to make it? How many assistants did it have? And these things. But when you look at a painting that really has, mm -hmm. a, you know, a grander perspective, yeah. then you get very impatient with, you know, skillful paintings but that, that don't have that quality yeah and, uh, and then and then with those kind of paintings i think it's when you with the best ones mm. is when you forget about who was the one asking for this painting or who is uh, uh how much time it took to make this painting it mm. just it's there it's uh yeah. and they drag your whole attention and you forget about everything around how can you say it is a uh, yeah, it's just because there. It's the story that's... It's the story, what the, yeah, yeah. and you forget about everything else. Yeah. Even the people around the museum. <laughs> that's something very difficult today because you have all these lights around. So, yeah. 
uh, but when you you see a, a masterpiece or, or the best ones then nothing else is there anymore it's mm. just a story there so what is mm. that it's that archetypical image or that uh, yeah that way of doing, doing mm. You were talking, uh, you mentioned the idea of the hero. Yeah. Why is that so important? In this, in this way of painting, it requires this kind of hero archetype to embrace that uh, image. Mm. Because you, to paint like this today, requires that in the beginning you have to leave a place behind the university the values of this time what is okay in, uh, in the social in society mm -hmm. so you have to start leaving that place mm -hmm. to get into the adventure of what means to make a painting like uh, like uh, the old uh, the great master mm -hmm. and then of course you get into the adventure and then Obviously, you will meet a mentor there, someone that will give you some tools to be aware mm. uh, of what are you uh, that could help you in this journey, mm. what you're looking to. This, uh, exactly, this mentor can, can be a, a man that is living, a living presence uh, in front of you, in my case, uh, Odd, for example, mm. uh, or it can be a painting from like from 400 years ago mm. that you uh, you learn from him yeah then you go back and there's a risk also when you go back to you the place you, that you live how to keep those values that you learn there mm -hmm. that is i think the most difficult thing <laughs> and that's when most of the heroes or the painters today stop yeah they learn something they get into that they uh learn how to manage those tools, learn from the mentor, more or less. But then when they have to go back to, the, to that uh, social place, to this, uh, uh, back to his home, then is when all these things are, uh, they are put in doubt. And mm. So there are many risks. Why are you painting like this? Mm. This is painting, uh, this is like an old painting. It's, these values mm. are from the past. And then it's when I think this, the, the, the hero just stops there. Yeah. And you can see that in many painters today. So yeah. the, that image, is, I think, is something that uh, I like very much. And I think every painter should uh, read or get in, in contact with that story, that mm. archetype, mm. because it helps to have a more or less clear idea how things work for... for yeah, and I think... If you look at, I mean, obviously, the values that you base yourself on in your work are quite different than the values of uh, someone working within contemporary art. Yeah. And this relates to what you're saying in, in, the, in the following sense, that these painters who give up somehow, uh, give up... Uh, uh, Either because they they um, forget it or or out of opportunistic reasons, yeah, um, they don't have that consciousness that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Being conscious of what they have actually seen when they have experienced this epiphany in front of Rembrandt or what it is, yeah, and 
when you're talking about the, the hero, of course, it's, uh, you know, it's very close at hand to start talking about Joseph Campbell, mm -hmm. the hero with a thousand faces, mm -hmm. which is the, the, uh, what, we, what stories all over the globe talk about, but yeah. under different names, but basically it's the same yeah. story playing out. Mm -hmm. And he tells a fascinating story. It's from the Japanese uh, Shinto uh, tradition, I think, mm -hmm. about a sun goddess. Uh, I forget her name now, but she has a brother who is quite uh, quite a naughty boy. Mm -hmm. So at one point he drops a flayed horse <laughs> down, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. down and scares all of her uh, female servants so they die. Mm -hmm. And she withdraws. Yeah. There's no more sun. Mm -hmm. And all the eight million gods gather. And I think, what the hell shall we do now? Because, you know, it's uh, impending death and there are voices in the air talking about destruction, blah, blah. And so they come up with an idea. They hang a mirror in a tree. Mm. And then they get one of the goddesses to start dancing a very strange dance, which makes them laugh. Mm. And she's hearing. And she comes, she, she peeks out. And one of the gods says, uh, well, she asks what's going on. And one of the gods says, well, we have found someone who shines even more than you do. Mm. And she comes out and she sees the mirror. She's, she sees herself in the mirror then. Mm. At which point one, another god goes behind her with what is called a Shiva Neva. It's like a belt of some sorts. Yeah. That hinders her from retiring completely ever again. And I think the whole idea of Kitsch being conscious of that can function like a Shiva Neva, mm. this belt that, that, that keeps you from going back into the zeitgeist, the contemporary time. But it, it, might, say, it might seem when I say this that, that uh, in reality you want to escape all the time, but, you, but yeah. the, unfortunately the belt is, is stopping you. But of course this is a, this is a myth, this is a, a visual, visualization of your mental capacity to keep yourself in place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and that's when you have the, the force, the strength to, to create these stories. Yeah, and then, yeah, exactly. And yeah. then you, you take these uh, stories and mm. these archetypes and you uh, begin to work with them. Yeah. But when you feel like that you are just losing yourself into something, then you go back to the values. Yeah. And then you can control that in a better way. Yeah. So that's why uh, kitsch and classical values are very important in this journey. Yeah. Because they allow you to go into that, and but you have a sort of a way to keep yourself mm. under control when you're working with these uh, archetypes or images. Mm. Basically, I think that also comes for a, a great uh, for the strength for the power of uh, Ad Nordum's images mm. that he basically, he, of course, you can say a lot more, but he he uses or he 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 uh, has found two or the most uh, precious gold mines that a classical figurative narrative painter can, can uh, use. And that is the mythical, yeah. archetypical images mm -hmm. and the Icelandic landscape. Because they deal with the basics of human existence and the basics of geology, <laughs> of nature. Yeah, yeah. And if you can, can pair these two, mm. then you have a strong image. And I think uh, uh, when it comes to these, uh, these uh, myths, I think 
a major point for, for Campbell is that he says it very plainly. Myths let you know where you are. So for the audience, if we shall speak for what is the, uh, what is the interest for the audience, hmm. these images, if you create these basic images, they get uh, confirmation or a consolation or some kind of an indication of where they are or where they should go or what they can do in the current situation. Yeah, they, uh, they bring the viewer back to earth in a way, like yeah. the, the, you know where you are standing in. Yeah. You have this uh, image or this scene in front of you mm. and that's when you forget about all these things that uh, disturbs mm. and then you become aware of that uh, archetype or uh, where are you. Yeah. So something strange happened in that uh, when you have these archetypes in front of you that's when people really get involved in touch with the story. Yeah, mm. and it might not be that it, it, it uh, changes the situation or improves it or so, but it's, I think it is a conf consolation in the confirmation that you can get. For example, I, I, I tend to use the example of, of uh, Munch's sixth child. Uh -huh. Now you don't know, have to know that the model or the painting is based on his sister who died from no. the, from what is called the pneumonia. Uh, you don't have to know about that at all, or that his mother died from the same disease. You don't have to have lost your sister. You don't have to have lost uh, lose, uh, anyone mm. to death to understand this image because it deals with some kind of of uh, of loss as such. And so it goes beyond just being a, a, a naturalistic description of that specific. Death. Yeah. yeah. One is too specific and when yeah. you focus too much on the things around, it, yeah. then it, it, that archetypical thing yeah. fades away. Yeah. But when you forget this thing and you focus on the archetypical, then it's yeah. when it becomes eternal. You know? yeah. So, yeah. And that's something that it's very difficult to get today because this is something that nobody talks about this in the university or the School of Fine Arts. Mm. It's so, for me, it's been <coughs> such an amazing experience because, <coughs> sorry, uh, he talks about that the whole point for the hero, yeah, the basic idea mm. is that the hero goes, has this epiphany, returns, and then the fight, as you were talking about, to, to present that to others, mm -hmm. for example, through images. Yeah. Um, the hero then, his task is always to be the representative of eternity in time. Yeah. That's the <coughs> fundamental human story throughout the whole planet, throughout all ages. And when I read about this, and then after all these things I've been reading and writing and thinking about Kitsch, that was to me a complete match. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was just an amazing experience. That is when... Because what happens if you are aware of these uh, archetypes or you go there not too conscious mm. about the values? So how, what happens if you see these archetypes of you by intuition, you get them and then you go back to your land and then you present them mm. but you were not so sure about them? 
mm -hmm. then it's when it's very dangerous because everything mm. can fall apart and then you become a crazy man, just mm. a crazy man. Or you become very normal. Or you become very normal, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, I've seen that too. They, yeah. uh, there have been figurative painters who have been uh, complaining to me mm. that uh, that uh, Odnodum is not taken seriously in the art academy. Mm. And that is a classical example, and uh, Campbell mentions a lot of stories about this, where the, the, the hero has been in contact with something tremendous, mm. but is not conscious, is not aware of what it actually is, and therefore it, it slips from him immediately. It's the story of uh, Oisin coming back to his former land, but he must not touch the ground. He's sitting on a horse, yeah. and he gets too eager. His foot, his foot touches the ground. Immediately, horse, the horse is gone, and he is a poor old man, not the king that he was. Yeah. And, I th and that is also something that, I, uh, when I read about this, and I thought, this is, this is amazing. This is, this is something I've seen with a lot of painters, mm. that exact thing happening. Yeah. Then they touch the ground. Uh, mm. And they don't have the defense. And then we're back to being conscious about the values that you're, you are talking about. But uh, let, let's talk about something really concrete. Okay. Mm. Because if you shall make a story like this, uh, how in the, in, the, in the concrete, the way you paint, how do you achieve that? Because we're talking about the, the, the Apelles palette. Yeah. There's very few colors. Yeah, four. Tell, tell, tell us about that. Ah, <clears throat> well, um, that is a tool, a mm. great tool in the, the journey to, to put in practice these uh, values in a way mm. so and they help a lot but only if you are aware of them because <laughs> <laughs> if not you can just be go around mixing colors uh, in a very crazy way and yeah. how specifically I mean if it should be really concrete oh. these four colors how specifically do they enhance uh, an archetypical image oh. Well, when it comes to, to create a painting, of course, the colors that you render, they should not be so bright or so important that goes, uh, that get more attention than the uh, story that you're telling. But how you do that? Uh, to try to explain that in a, in a concrete way is a little bit difficult because most of the time they turn into mud. Yeah. And that from that, you start blending them after many, many, many the years. The, col the colors become muddy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot. But <laughs> when, when you... It's strange because then you learn how to, how to deal with this mud. Mm. And something come up, comes out after a while. Mm. Uh, what is it? I, don't, I, I really can't tell. Like uh, step one, step two, step three. Mm. You get the result from this Apelles palette. <laughs> you know. So it's something like... Um, well, you have to, to, to work with, but what I have experienced is that through this palette, you can get all the colors of the skin, mm. of the human body. Mm. And that is something that if you can get that, I think you can get the colors of everything around you. Mm. 
It's like if you are able to represent properly the skin or a human face, then you are able to represent a landscape, a tree, a rock, or wherever you see a cloud. Mm. Yeah. So <clears throat> this painting hanging here. Yeah. It's made by you. Yeah. I and this, this is the Apelles palette. This is the Apelles palette. Uh, this is the mud uh, this. <laughs> made into gold. Yeah, this is an example of how you, you can blend all this uh, black, uh, red, yellow and white. Yeah. So everything uh, out from uh, everything that comes out from that is what I uh, managed to put them together and make this uh, painting possible. Mm. Yeah. Because I see when I look at that, or if I look at uh, other work by you, mm -hmm. I see that it seems like the function of these, you know, obviously gray areas, yeah. very gray areas, yeah. is that they somehow just recede and just disappear so that the face comes forward or the, the breasts or the stomach comes forward. Yeah. And the, the things that are the important thing of the narrative. That is what I could like to the viewers to see, to pay attention to. Uh, of course, the face there and uh, the contrast that makes with the, with the background mm. and how she comes uh, towards us, mm. like hearing something, uh, a call or whatever, but the way she presents her. Mm. Uh, that is when, of course, you have to put down certain things, uh, mm. information that could bother yeah. the viewers uh, to look at her because, okay, there's a forest on the, on the background and yeah. there's a sunset beneath the, 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 the trees. But of course, the body is what is important and the mm. flesh and the skin and the, her expression. So mm. um, the, the gray that you're operating with is sort of multi-complementary. It's sort of green compared to some reddish, yeah. slightly reddish. It's slightly bluish compared mm. to something slightly yellow, orangey. Yeah, this, yeah. this, uh, this changes of yeah. temperature and, uh, of, and color, grays, yeah. that yeah. change from uh, the tree, more warm, a more reddish tree, then goes up in a more gray and then green mm. so this uh i i see it like as 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 when you see nature it is just not a stiff color there just mm. a pure color mm. it's always this vibrating information of yeah. grace that shows you in front of you that you yeah. you can't really identify where the green starts and when the the, the red ends or starts. It's like trying yeah. to say the exact moment when the, light, the, the, the day becomes night <laughs> and the night becomes day. I, yeah. I, I should, yeah. yeah, it's impossible. Because my, my experience is, at least is that when you're working with these colors, you, uh, especially if you start painting in a thin way, it naturally somehow becomes sort of, sort of like a grisaille, just gray painting. Yeah. And then you gradually, mm bring the color out from that gray center. Yeah. And I think, and Odd has been talking about that uh, quite a lot, that 
that gray is the mother of all colors. Mm -hmm. I think that's the phrase he has been using. So you can almost imagine that when you're painting, you should start with gray and go to yellow, go to red, go to green, go to purple or whatever, yeah, yeah. but it has to have the gray with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just, that's so amazing about what you're doing, that you have this ability for this gray, um, non-color. Non-color, <laughs> of color. So that you, when you go just a little bit up in intensity, in uh, color intensity, then it becomes, Yes, no, yes. Not I think Leonardo talks about this uh, in, in relation to the color blue. You must not paint a blue cloak so, so that it becomes a blue patch. It must be a yeah. blue cloak. Exactly. You know, he talks about painters so in love with the color that, that they, it stops being uh, realistic. Yeah. Right. So it says there like a block, yeah. like a block of color. Yeah. So that's a problem. Mm. Uh, but yeah, this uh, this you can you can build up a, a body out of just gray, but it, the, suddenly if you in some areas of the face or on the body you warm up a little mm. bit, and then in other areas you cool down. Whoa, then it becomes alive. That it was uh, like the entire body is just made out of mud, and suddenly this part is a little bit warm, like the hands more red than the. The area, the back is uh, more. This sounds cold. like a description of how God created man. Out <laughs> from mud, yeah. It's like a, this. I I don't remember from who I I heard this, but that palette is like a whole alchemical process. Right. From mud, literally. Yeah. yeah. You turn that mud into gold, something that right. shines after you right. work a lot into that. Right. In order to make that skin shine as gold. Again, out from that mud, yeah. out from that darkness, and that's what I see and what I like the most, and I admire in the in the great paintings that you can see. Mm. Yeah. yeah, because that's uh, you see it very clearly with Rembrandt at this late stage mm. compared to contemporary painters, yeah. where you have you know patches of color that arrange themselves together to a human being or a, a scene. Oh, yeah. But with Rembrandt, it just comes out of darkness or out of matter. Yeah, this it's, whole, yeah. It's, it's wonderful. And you can see that uh, in other paintings, they, they, they change the way they paint during their life. You can see also the dentition, mm. the, the early paintings. You see a, a very uh, a Renaissance uh, proper way of doing a painting. Mm. But then you see him uh, that on his late paintings you have this mud yeah. gray atmosphere yeah. that makes the whole thing come alive. Yeah. And you compare that with the, his early paintings and you can see the difference. There is this uh, way of dealing with colors, this blue or green or purple um, robe but it's not gray enough so mm. it's just stiff a little bit the line also goes along mm. the whole painting mm. through mm. the figure but then you have this another way of doing it this more loose effect and this gray mm. so the, the whole thing glows it's, mm. yeah mm. so that is something you can see in other paintings during their, li their life and how they improve when they start getting more in touch with that uh, palette, mm -hmm. those four limited uh, colors. And so when you do that, you subdue the color, it doesn't work as color but as substance, then the 
story can be even more. Oh yeah, then is when the story comes out, and but uh, yeah, that's something strange that happens. And yeah, yeah. you put down the colors, and then the important thing comes out: the human body or the face, where yeah. all these gray, warm, cool colors colors come out again. Yeah, mm. and it's interesting also that that uh, when you're speaking of um, the hero's journey, as, as Campbell uh, puts it, mm. uh, Rembrandt is also one of those heroes mm. because he does indeed experience this wonderful thing. He actually sees that painting of Titian in Amsterdam, uh -huh. the flaying of Martius. Yeah. And he manages to bring, you know, <laughs> he manages to bring the gold out of the forest without it turning to dust, as, as Campbell was saying, because that's also a story of the hero coming out with gold and it turns to dust. Uh, that that's happen. what we've been talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but Rembrandt, Rembrandt uh, manages to keep, to keep the gold. Yeah. yeah. And I, <clears throat> I wanted to, to uh, uh, finish this off with mm. talking a bit about, you know, one thing is that the archetypical images what they mean to the viewer, how they grip the viewer and, and, and uh, uh, sort of educates them, not in a, in a didactic way, but, uh, but teaches them about, well, life. Mm -hmm. um, but then you also have, this is a fascinating story that, that Campbell is talking about, mm -hmm. or my, my recap of it. If you look at the example of Jesus, yeah. Campbell is very concerned with not uh, getting caught in the metaphor, as he says. Yeah. But but seeing it as a metaphor, you know. Mm -hmm. So what happens with Jesus is not that he actually dies on the cross and rises bodily to heaven. Mm. But what happens is that he dies as a contemporary human being and rises up on an archetypical yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, to me, is an, a fantastic image of a development of a, of a painter. Oh, yeah. And you will be very scared when the, they're going to put you in the cross. <laughs> 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 That's scary. <laughs> but if you go through that and you are, uh, you are dead to the society in a way, then and you, uh, you learn how to deal with that social death mm. then i think you can be dead and become alive again in a timeless uh, way i think and that is what happens with the uh, with kitchen painting is uh, that you abandon this uh, modern way of doing things and there's a risk there you will be afraid and then <laughs> something wonderful happens after that after that death, yeah. It's kind of, yeah. Sebastian Salvo, it's been a joy to have you here. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>